The Lay's Radio Project was our last best hope for news. A self-contained podcast two hours long, located in neutral territory. A place of nonsense and innuendo for forum dads, community members, and developers. A shining beacon in space. All alone on a Tuesday night. It was the dawn of the third chapter of Elite, the year Space Lakes came upon us all. This is the story of the last of the Ladian stations. The year is 3307. The name of the place? Leave Radio. Commanders, and welcome to episode 328 of Lave Radio, the show that likes to talk about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Commander Phoenix Defire, Chief Archivist of Lave Station, otherwise known as Colin Ford, and joining me in the Orange Soundwinder bar for this episode, we have our Head of Health and Safety, Commander Aid Device, otherwise known as Ben Moss Woodward. I appear to be stuck in some kind of I don't know, some kind of quantum tunneling device of doom or something. I have no idea what's happening at the moment. That's because your phone's just drives faulty, by the looks of it. It <laughs> looks like everything's kind of faulty. But hey, I can stretch my legs. We also have our Inhuman Resources Director, the Shan. Hello. We also have our Deputy Trade Attaché, the Souverine. What up? And also joining us for uh, this episode, we have a well-known YouTuber and Twitch streamer, Down to Earth Astronomy. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, tech this evening is brought to you by our tech gibbon. That's the Chris Mark IV. <laughs> if you wish, you can join us in Twitch. We don't actually have anyone in game today, so I'm afraid you won't find anything at the Orange Sidewinder Bar near Planet Lave. We are available on the Twitch chat channel, which you can access through laveradio.com slash live. Click on the live chat and on twitch.tv slash Lave Radio, or on YouTube, or on Facebook. Just look for Lave Radio, you'll find us. So, I'm going to quickly go around the crew, see what they've been up to for the last week. We'll start with Souverine this week. I have not been to space at all, because I've been playing Total Warhammer with uh, Atrus, which has been really, really good fun. They, they announced the third game, Total Warhammer 3, last week, I think, and Atrus had heard me talking about it on the show, and sent me... The link to it and was like, dude, look what's coming. And I was extremely excited, having discovered that he was into it as well. Like we decided to play co-op and we've we've had a Skaven game going where we've both been playing as different Skaven factions and gradually taking over the old world. Uh, and it's really good fun. We're on about turn 30, I think. It's been super, super good. We played it on 
couple of nights last week and then over the weekend as well. Um, it's been really good. Apart from that, it's snowing here. Well, and I have a personal rule that I don't run when there are no degrees. So given that, <laughs> given that there aren't any degrees, I'm not running. When the temperature is above zero again, I will don my running shorts and off I'll go. Um, are you a lizard? So- <laughs> uh, well, I just, I just kind of feel like it's not really worth it. Like, I sort of, you know, there are so many, there are so many days of the year that are that have degrees and are pleasant to run in. That I might as well just save my energy for those. But apart from that, it's um, it's been a fairly quiet one for me. Well, we have also uh, our Inhuman Resources Director, Commander Shan. What have you been up to? Oh, I've actually had quite an interesting week this week. In game, I've been making my way to Beagle Point. Um, I haven't been rushing. I've just been kind of jumping and then scanning what looks interesting in that. So I'm slowly making my way. And uh, in real life, making I was... Making my way I, back to you. Yeah. And then I was um, I was clearing out some cupboards at the weekend. And I found one of my old diaries when I was much younger. And um, I sort of flicking through it. And, and, I, and I discovered my entry from August the 23rd in 1981 uh, when I was... A, when I was accused of stealing the crown jewels or trying to steal the crown jewels. And um, so, yeah, that's been, that's been my week. And as uh, Colin said to me the other day, make sure you cut it short and don't drag on. So, yeah, that's been my week. So jumping to Beagle Point and remembered when I was accused of stealing the crown jewels. Okay. Obviously, we'll be touching on the crown jewels later. Not yours. Not touching my, yours, not touching my crown jewels. <laughs> uh, I think I'll pass on that one too, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> He gets some friendly this column. Yeah. Um, mm, right. <laughs> Moving on, Ben. So yeah, I, I've not been touching anybody's crown jewels. And um, there we have it. <laughs> I, I, not even mine. Um, so I've basically been stuck in lockdown still. I saw my flatmate today, so that was exciting. Apart from that, I've been playing with the kids, playing Minecraft, playing Star Citizen, playing Elite, playing. Uh, no, I've finished Cyberpunk. Playing RimWorld, usual stuff. Welcome to COVID lockdown. And I think next week is nearly my one year. Next week or the week after is my one year lockdown anniversary or something like that, too. So Jesus, yay. that's crazy. Yeah. I enjoy the fact that you seeing your housemate is a is a cause, um, is, a, is an event <laughs> to be reported. Like, is this, is, this, is this because your life is literally just a lockdown symphony of boredom? Or is it that your flatmate is very elusive? Or possibly that they're very small? <laughs> well, my flatmate's Australian, as I think I might have mentioned. And he's not meant to be back in the UK now. He's not allowed to work anymore. But he's not allowed to leave the country either. So he's basically turned into a full-time gamer. And he's basically getting up when I'm going to bed. Jesus. So he's not, he's not allowed to work and he's not allowed to leave either. Yeah. That's almost ideal roommate to have someone who's completely out of sync with your day-night uh, sleep cycle. So you pretty much always have the apartment to yourself. It sounds like he's Tom Hanks in the film The Terminal. Based on a true story mm-hmm. about, the, uh, about the guy who's, yeah. uh, whose passport was no longer valid because his country no longer existed. <laughs> and so he couldn't travel and he yeah. wasn't allowed out of the airport. Yes, it's Chelsea Airport, wasn't it? There was one guy who was, who was stuck there for, oh God, how many years? It, it was phenomenal. A long that's while. ridiculous. That's yeah. so ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's international law for you. I know. Yes, that's Tom Hanks. So who wouldn't want to imprison <laughs> Tom Hanks in an airport? I mean, I think that's classified as a loophole, not one yeah. you want to exploit. Well, on the no. subject of international, we have to welcome 
down to earth astronomy, or as we'll refer to him as Astro from now on. How have you been for the last week, sir? And uh, what you've been up to? Like the rest of the world, we're in lockdown here in Denmark, so I've been working from home. And when I was done working from home, I've been in the same chair working on YouTube or spending the evenings with my wife. We've been moving around the, the apartment. But in-game project has mainly been focused around getting ready for uh, jumping my fleet carrier to Colonia and taking a few hundred people with me here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, large amount of preparation for that. You know, going out there to maybe to unlock the engineers, and I really don't want to end up showing up in Colonia and then realizing, oh, I forgot something in the bubble. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's a rather long way back. So trying to make sure I get everything uh, everything prepped up in, uh, in the bubble and... Uh, making the, the journey out there as smooth as possible for the people joining. Excellent. Well, uh, just quickly for myself, I've been playing a bit of power play as per usual. Although for some reason, um, I've been dropped by the squadron that I joined with no reason. Don't know what happened there. Uh, and I Did do you not to... earn enough? Um, I don't know. I do know I had about two weeks off because I was not feeling well. But when I came back, that was it. I mean, obviously, if you don't keep your merits up, then basically they degrade over time. And you'll end up with naught. I think I must have hit naught at some point And they just went, uh, nope. Gone. So is that some kind of Chinese sweatshop squadron no, you were but... in? Because it, it seemed, I, I personally, that's one of my pet hates in guilds and clans and things like that, is that insisting on giving a player a quota for earning X, Y, and Z, or else they're kicked. You know, I, I'm sorry, I play this for fun. I don't play it for a job. And if I get sick and can't play, then... You know, you're supposed yeah, to be understanding about it. I yeah, feel well, like playing something else for night. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not that many uh, merits, and it's only 350 to maintain my rank three. But uh, it's, it's one of those things that you keep on missing out on. So, um, just quickly, Colin, did you ask anybody why? Because it might have been a, it might have been a mistake. You know what? I'm not bothered. Basically, I've gone and sort of I left their Discord and stuff like that since. So. All the stuff I need to do to play Power Play is still in the Orissa Discord anyway. Although I do have so to you ask, rage quit. But can you actually can you actually quit. see how many merits other people in your squadron has? You used to be able to. <laughs> Back out oh, now. Okay. <laughs> no, no, okay, so no but okay. My experience with Power Play is stay there passive for four weeks, get the modules and get the hell out. Exactly. That's how you're supposed to play it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my worst kind of power play player. The worst kind of power play player is, of course, the one that always hides in solo and will never come out and also might be automated. But less said about that, the better. <laughs> Does getting your kids to do it for you count as automization? Um, <laughs> automizing. Is that break the EULA? Technically, no, it's not, is it? It doesn't break the no. EULA. <laughs> My children, script and macro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apart from that, of course, I've been um, flying around using the, um, following the CG and the plot with my main account. But apart from that, oh, I did actually find out there's a lot more to Final Fantasy 15 than I thought. So I'm also playing that. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, even though it did break me last week. And I wish to retract any emotional problems I had due to that game last week as well so <laughs> we shall move on from there and discuss the development news which has been happening this week well on thursday we, there was a fight or flight 
demonstration of Thargoid hunting by the CMs, both Zach and Stephen, uh, joined up with the Anti-Xeno Initiative and went Thargoid hunting. Did anybody else see this? Because I hate to say this, I was a bit impressed. Yeah, I, I, I saw it and I think I'll just leave it at that. I was impressed at their assistance. I, I was impressed that Zach managed to kill a couple. With a lot of help. I've, I've joined Frontier before on uh, on the live stream when uh, yeah. when they were doing some Antisino stuff. Mm. Um, and they picked it up relatively quickly. And I mean, once you get the hang of the of the mechanics, um, mm. I think you could do quite well against Cyclops. Mm. Yeah, I still got to solo a Cyclops, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's on my to-do list. That was um, Thursday's Targo, stream. Targo is a friend, not foe. Oh. <laughs> That's up, up for debate, I guess. Yeah, well, they're not exactly friendly to me, but mind you, oh, I have you wiped out. Them. That's because I wiped out about almost two thousand scouts in order to get my <laughs> So you know, they they might be a bit tepid towards me. Or yeah, I might be a bit sort of uppity if you went off and killed two thousand of my children too. That does actually have an effect on the uh, on how they treat you when they hyperdict you and things like that. Because if you've got lots of thyroid kills, they, they run away. No, actually, they, they attack you more, or they used to. I've never been attacked now. Ever since I managed to um, get rid of, uh, to hit my elite ranking with that, they have, I've been interdicted about six or seven times, all by at least three Thargoid interceptors, and not just Cyclops, we were talking Basilisks and, and Medusas as well. And they, t- they come up, scan that, yeah. me, and run away. But have you noticed that, I don't know if, when that happened, but I noticed when I'm getting hyperdicted now that they show up at least three ships now. There used to be just mm. one. Yeah, there used to be just one, but I'm wondering whether or not that's to do with your elite rank. Is that for everybody, or does that depend on how many times you killed them? Because I always thought, I mean, I knew that when you get your first Darkguard killed, your account is kind of like, quote-unquote, tainted, and mm-hmm. you will kind of be on uh, on the Darkguard's bad list. Um, Forever. Forever. Yeah, because I remember Sandro talking when Thargoids first came out. Is that you know how there's when you when you have a faction in a um, in a system or even the global superpower, you've got a rating. You know, you got friendly, hostile, whatever. Mm. There's a hidden one for Thargoids, so you can't ever see it. It's just in, an internal counter in the game. So that internal faction rating with Thargoids. So if you wanted Sandro, to be, so if you wanted to be uh, like a uh, <laughs> so if you just go and collect like Orlando occupied escape pod, just feed them to the Thargoids. Yeah, you'll be friendly with them. Or something like that. It was it was a, it was a couple of years ago when Sandro was still knocking about, but certainly there was an internal faction counter mm. that they used to do that to um decide on how friendly or otherwise Thargoids would be to you. Yeah. Interesting okay. to see if it still if it still works like that. But you have to be a special kind of person, I think, if you want to go out and pick up people who have escaped in an escape pod from a ship that was about to explode, pick them up and feed them to a Thargoid. <laughs> Would you rather feed them to a Thargoid or to Etienne Dawn? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Um, my, well, that's a good question, because I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, you'll find out all about Etienne Dawn when you make it to Colonia. <laughs> exactly. Um, Shan seems to be obsessed by him. We don't know why. No, we think Suverine. It's Suverine. That's why, he, that's why Suverine washes his hair every week, so he can go and have his private conversations with uh, Etienne Dawn. It's okay, Shan. The, the love that exists between you and, and Etienne is it's a lovely, it's a beautiful thing. Nobody, nobody judges you. You're among friends. 
Yeah, there's no need to go into denial. You're fine. <laughs> well, on Friday, um, the Elite Dangerous Odyssey Q&A dropped. Uh, and this time, it discussed first footfall. Now, some of these things we've mostly heard from various other places before. But it's nice to actually have all in one place for us to go through. So, as per usual, I'll read out the question and the answer, and then I'll ask the panel to come back with their thoughts. So, first question was, will I be able to disembark on every isle can land on? And Odysseys will allow players for the first time to disembark their ships, SRVs, and explore the galaxy on foot. The ability to disembark, however, is subject to survivability of the environment, with temperature and gravity both playing a part in the length of time you survive. In extreme conditions, the ability to disembark will be completely. Right, now this one opened a can of worms. Who'd like to go first? I mean, it's, for me at least, it's an easy way to get around the, like, how do you handle walking around on an 11G planet, for instance? Yeah. I mean... Oh, just one thing is, is being a, if you have a hollow press, then you could could argue, well, how do you handle actually sitting in your chair at an 11G planet if you're in your ship? But mm. you could techno babble your way out, way out of that. Um, but walking around in a suit with like an anti gravity field seems maybe a little bit too much. Looking at the uh, the fact that we don't even have artificial gravity in Elite. Yeah. Um, Sue, did you want to join uh, chip in? It's not new comment. I've, I've said it before, but. Um... I would quite like it if uh, an element of trial and error to the planetary landings, whereby <laughs> there was <laughs> there's an always always a sense of trepidation when disembarking because you didn't really know uh, what your chances of survival were. I, you know, it, that might be a little bit implausible because the assumption being that if we can build spaceships, build private spaceships, then we can um, anticipate how survivable a planet is. But I, in, in gameplay terms, I quite like it when games allow you to do things and just and just accept and and live with the consequences. Like for example going through a door that leads to a baddie that's far past your level rather than stopping you going through the door completely just because player agency is a, is a good thing to have but also from a like a just an immersion point of view I'd, I'd quite like it if you know when you landed there was always a sense of oh i don't know how dangerous this planet's you know or you know it's it's 3g you know what what am i how how uh how long do I think I can last here? Do I think I can last long enough to get to achieve my goals? That sort of thing. But that, that's just my initial impressions. And actually, the implementation may be really cool. And, and grenades. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be really good if they had what Sue said. Because let's say you got out of your SRV or your ship, and then you slowly went down and down and down and down until you fell flat on your face, and then it all went black. So to simulate, you know, you're trying to walk in this gravity and you get pressed down and doing squish. And that'd be quite fun to do that. But I, I don't think you should have the nannying kind of, you must be this tall to land here, so to speak. Precisely, I, 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 yeah. Uh, somehow I've got the impression that you guys, it reminds me of the Red Dwarf episode when they've just discovered there might be poison in the air and they're looking through the life scanner going, and we are going to live. <laughs> I'm just going to go outside to test whether we can live, guys. Squish. Well, I guess that answers that question. <laughs> oh, oh, I, mean, on, I, I want to come on and say, you know, thankfully we've got an astrophysicist on today because you know <laughs> I've got this, I've got this vague feeling that even in the year 2020, 
we can figure yeah. out the apparent gravity of a planet. And yeah. I'm also fairly certain we're able to detect the composition of atmosphere. I suspect our ships would would be able to tell us this information. We're detecting atmospheres on planets light years away from us. So, so yeah. Yeah. Whilst it might be amusing, I think it's kind of a moot point. Right. Okay, well, we're going to move on for the moment. (laughs) We'll probably be coming back to this later in the show. Next question was, is first football available to be claimed for every planet? (laughs) First football? That's what I said. I said first football. Ah. I could have sworn you said football. Sorry, Colin. (laughs) You need your ears cleaning out. Um, He scores. Ah, yes. (laughs) Here we go. Right, the galaxy of Elite Dangerous isn't new. Really? It's several billion years old at this point. The year is 3307, and humans have been exploring space for more than 13 years. Planets and moons in human-occupied systems, along with particular bodies of historical significance, will have the first footfall already claimed. Bruce went on to explain this at a later point. The actual game mechanics is you will never be able to get first footfall for any system, any planet in a system that has a greater population greater than zero. So mm. any occupied system, that's it. It's done. It's explored. You will no, never have a, a first footfall on, on, the, on the screen. I mean, the, uh, the game-wise, I think that's completely feasible. You know, what they're saying is 33 or 7, everywhere's been explored, everywhere in the bubble where there are people. And I think that makes the gameplay nice and simple. I think if you want to look at it from a realist point of view, I, just like there is on Earth, you know, we can go anywhere on Earth if we wanted to. There are still places on Earth where no one's actually been. So I suspect there could be a few, I mean, a very few systems where someone has never been, even though there's a planet with people on it. It's, I don't, maybe they just can't be bothered to go there or there's nothing interesting to see or... Maybe it's in orbit around a uh, a neutron star, and you know you can't get on it unless you're a certain uh, period in its rotation. I don't know. There the are reasons I can think of as to why no one would be there, but I think to keep it simple, I think that's fair enough. I think in thirteen years, most of those places, well, all of those places will. If you could get to it, someone will have just to say I've been here, and that's it. Explore, and we're going to see that when people start moving out, doing it for themselves. Is this the part of the discussion we talked about how first footfall is measured? Yeah, how, when, when does first footfall count? They, they actually go in to say it'll actually start counting when the game goes live, not during the alpha. Yeah, okay, so alpha obviously won't carry over. I don't think uh, that would make sense, but I would think they would implement it the same way this did when they introduced mapping of planets. Yeah. That that like some like planets in inhabited systems, they already they have first footfall on them, or they have maybe been mapped. But other than that, I would expect it to be you set foot on it, and you then get the first footfall. But you have to go back and sell your car truck data to actually claim it. Is that how they said it's going to work, or is it going to work a different way? No, they've actually said it's going to be as soon as you set foot in it, you. See, that's silly because. You know, I if I find an Earth-like and a landable planet or in orbit around the Earth-like, so I have to wait to go back to Universal Cartographics to sell it before I can claim the Earth-like. Yet, as soon as my little toe 
hits the soil on the planet right next door to it, somehow interstellar cartography knows about it. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that they've said. And uh, yep. It's... Because you put uh, a picture on speech Twitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> I I've I've made it to um uh Koi forty two. Tough luck, anybody else who's trying to get in there. Because you know what's gonna happen now is that there's gonna be a whole load of people pressing skip cutscene or whatever it is as quick as they can, just so they can jump out and get first football on a um on a known planet. So yeah, yeah I don't know. Oh well they're not as long as that planet doesn't have a population, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not talking about the sort of first football on Bave or anything like that. I'm talking about Beagle Point or one of the systems around there. You know, it would have been better, I think, to have you first football claimed football got me out of that uh, first football claimed when you sell it. Because that makes yeah. consistent sense. Yes, there is there is stuff about this which does smack to me of a little bit of Consistency. You know when you actually scan a planet with with the the new planetary scanner. It's been two years, but as soon as you manage to scan the planet, is that assigned to you as? You know, no, you have to sell it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Every every other kind of exploration is is only only count the moment you sell it. And even even if let's say I go up and scan a planet, and you come on come like an hour after me and scan the same planet, if you make it back and sell first. You get claimed, no matter if I go back and sell my data, where I can maybe prove I did the scan earlier, you will still have the name on it. Right. Uh, well, we'll move on to the next one. So, how does Odyssey affect the number of landable, landable planets in the game? Well, it says the number of planets that will be landable for the first time in Odyssey will be in the billions. But to give you a more tangent reference point, based on the regions we've tested so far, Odyssey will have 20% more landable planets than the base game. So. That is a vast amount of area. It is. I'd love to know what the parameters were for uh, tenuous atmosphere. I don't think they've. I don't think they've said. You know, we've we've long been aware of planets that look like they would be landable, and then you get close and realise they have a very thin atmosphere. But I wonder what the under the hood values for that is. I, I think it's more to do with the planet types that they already have. Like obviously, Earth likes water worlds and ammonia worlds. I don't think, regardless of the atmosphere density, uh, pressure, or composition, I don't think we're going to be able to land on those. Simply because it would involve like forests and oceans and that kind of stuff. And I don't think we're going to see liquids on the surface. No. Um, so therefore, it would probably be restricted to stuff like high metal content worlds, rocky worlds, ice planets, maybe that kind of stuff, right? And then I think they just put a hard limit on like you can't disembark if the gravity is higher than what do I know two and a half three G something like that. Yeah. So am I right in thinking that if there's an atmosphere, no matter how tenuous, mm-hmm. pretty much there will be a degree of erosion then on the planet because you've got particles moving and rubbing against rocks and things like that. that am I correct in thinking that? That would make sense. Yeah. So the question then is: is if there's atmosphere, are they going to model erosion effects? on the planet. That's something that we'll have to ask them, because it's never said anything about erosion effects. We've seen um, fancy-looking uh, ice planets, and we've seen, the obviously, the the atmospheres of the new ones, but um haven't seen effect the geography. Because if there are erosion effects, you then get um, various patterns and potential caves and all sorts of stuff, don't you? That 
Not yeah, necessarily but, torn by water, well, but we know we're not getting caves. Yeah. So we no, know that we know we're not getting overhangs. Well, yeah. There's a distinct difference between caves and overhangs. That's not necessarily the same thing. I think the question Stop in which giving me hope here, Astro. I'm pretty Sorry? sure the Stop giving me hope. <laughs> I'm pretty no, sure the, the question that this that this came up in was does your new planetary system have the ability to um, generate caves and overhangs? And the answer to that was no. No. Um, oh, okay. So Astro is correct, but the actual question that that, that that fact is taken from, I'm pretty sure, not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure the question was phrased, phrased as caves and openings, uh, overhangs. But right. wasn't that answered in Horizons? Not this one, or has it been answered? No, it's the, it's the question was your, the, the, the Odyssey planetary tech. Oh, yeah, I can't remember if the, the wording on the question specifically. It might have been that caves were mentioned specifically in there. And if that's the case, then yes, we're not going to see caves. But um, Let's see, where were we? If I join after launch, will I still be able to experience first fall? <laughs> well, Elite Dangerous is a huge and expansive galaxy containing more than 400 billion star systems. Uh, to date, our <laughs> players uh, have traversed just 201 million of those systems, which equates to about 0.05%. In the same way that new commanders continue to join the world of Elite and make their own personal discoveries, we have no doubt that commanders will have the opportunity to make their own discoveries for many years to come. Right, now, this is quite a big one, considering some of the questions that have been asked on the forums lately. Sorry, I was just thinking about the 201 million number. How many players are there in Elite or have been in Elite? Because if you divide that by 201 million or 200 million, divided by that number, that's actually quite a lot of systems that have been discovered by a you know, per player. Yeah. At the moment, well, before the... Let's have a quick thing. Before the uh, Epic Store, there was approximately 4 million accounts. Million? Okay, wow. Well, the Epic Store had another 8 million to it, which was phenomenal. So there's potentially 12 million accounts out. But, uh, yeah, let's just say 4 million uh, accounts have managed to explore 20, 201 million systems. So what's that? You've gone. Every player's looked at at least 20 systems. Sounds yeah, a right. lot of players will probably never have left the bubble. A lot of the accounts from Epic, I would expect them to basically just to click collect. There's just people collecting their free game every week and there's never mm. actually booted up Elite. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the main point of this is, and it's been alluded to by other people as well, that uh, this is a, a roundabout way of saying that, um, in fact, they've actually confirmed this in later answers, that uh, they're not going to disable the first footfall uh, for console owners, uh, for PC owners while the console catches up, rather. So basically, it's going to be PC goes first, PC players will get basically uh, a lot of the footfalls, but what they're saying here is that there's plenty enough for everybody Hmm. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's worth mentioning that even though Elite is now what six years old game, something like that, mm-hmm. and we still even haven't explored one percent of the galaxy. That nope. means if you come in and 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 I mean, if you come into a game that focuses around exploration six years down the line, in any other game it would be like, yeah, okay, but how much is there there is there left to explore? But I think it's one of the big selling points for Elite that even when you come in as a new player, there is still more than 99% Galaxy left yeah. that has yeah. never been seen by anyone that you can go and you can get your name on today if you want to. 
And it's going to be the same with Footfall Planets. There's going to be so many of them that there will, in another six years down the line, if Elite is still running by then, which I hope, <laughs> there will still be land uh, Footfall Planets for people to go and explore because there's just so many of them. Yeah. Shan? Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that when I saw the, the numbers and things. And that uh, I think, though, as we wrote, there's tons more left to explore and there's plenty of falls for people to feed as much as they like. However, there are certain systems and planets that have a significance about them in which people would want to be the first person to have their name on it, if that's mm. what floats your boat. So things like the furthest planet from Sol, the planet closest to a neutron star, or whatever it is, people are going to want to go there because it's a special snowflake system. Yeah, and, and I think that's where the sentiment of we're being left out comes from. It's not there isn't not long, you know, loads left. It's the fact that potentially these special snowflake planets will all be taken. Yeah, but yeah. there's only going to be one person that gets them anyway. Yeah, exactly. And what? And, and why does anybody have a right to them? Yeah, because they're, they're they're quicker pressing skip cutscene than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody. I, I think people are taking them extremely seriously i personally i don't i'm not motivated to have my name on any of the, the planets well, explorers do. i mean if you think about the, the drive to explore in our own world you know the first person to i mean to uh, reach the south pole i mean that was an epic struggle between amazon and scott to be mm. the first to do it. and you know i, I don't yeah, think yeah that's um, true yeah that's a good point. It, it's, it's that sort of drive i think that wants people to be the first one to go on there so yeah i can completely understand why people's noses are out of joint but i guess it depends on how much that motivates people yeah right um how quickly will first foot blades be claimed and they've said your achievement will be displayed alongside the names of those who first discovered and landed on the planet which you can find in the system map which didn't really answer the question i thought Oh yeah, uh, that's not uh, that's not answering the question at all. That's a completely different. No. Jesus Christ, Gareth! These are completely different answers. That doesn't match the question <laughs> at all. Yeah. The, the, the oh, question is Colin, about what's time, your and the answer is about where. That is, that's nonsensical. So you do we need an answer to the question song? We, we do. We need to. We need my answer to the question song. My answer to the question song. I did actually pen an answer to the question song last uh, episode, listeners. But it is absolutely full of expletives, and therefore I'm probably not allowed to sing it. But the song does exist. Yes, we do have. We are going to record it. I think. It, I think it's. It's only fair to record it and soundboard it. <laughs> it goes out to Gareth. So yes, how quickly does something happen? And then the answer. The thing will be displayed alongside the names of those who first discovered and landed on the planet, which you can find in the system map. Uh, how does that have any bearing on the question whatsoever? Yeah, it's, um, like, it's yeah. like Matt Hancock at a press conference, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's like a bar of soap in the shower. <laughs> okay. Slippery? Yes, very slippery. Correct, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, next question. Is there a limit to the number of places I can get first foot uh, on a set? of time. We won't be imposing any limits, but it'll be naturally limited by the speed at which you can travel between planets. So basically, I think what they're asking there is can I only land on or get first footfall for three planets and then I have to wait a while? No. Just basically carry on. Do we think that that's another question question that could have been answered with no? Yep. (laughs) To be honest, I don't know where some of these questions are actually coming from, because 
I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I think they are taking questions this that I posted around both the forums, uh, Twitter, that kind of thing. And I don't think they take them in the in the exact like word to word as they were posted. I think they take the sense like kind of rephrase them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Aggregate and then and then paraphrase. Exactly. Back to the question, the one we had before, where they they put up one question and answer a different one, um, because if, if since they're already picking and choosing, if you don't <laughs> like want to answer that question, then like don't pick it. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I agree that one was seems seems a little weird. Is it just me or? Yeah, you know, I think as I said last week, these questions feel like they've been filtered with a CM filter. They have. And that's the CM oh, filter. Probably, yeah, probably a bad CM filter at that. You know, speaking as a developer, I would never say anything as mealy mouthed as this. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think the developers of this. This has definitely been filtered by the publishing team. Um, but yeah, they are absolutely politician answers. Okay, well, uh, the next one is, can the first footfall achievements be disputed? And that is, in the same way we monitor first in the live game today, our anti-cheat team will be monitoring the system and will not hesitate to revoke first footfall if it has been obtained by illegal means. That got me thinking about what illegal or illegitimate means could they could I use. Think- no, I think this is another case that they're 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 answering a different thing. That the question, when the way I understood that question was what we talked about earlier. If if player A goes and has first footfall, then player B comes along an hour after and gets his quote unquote first footfall. Mm-hmm. But then player B manages to sell the data first. Can you? Yeah. But we don't know if they're not going to sell. But I don't know. But could you dispute that if player B somehow managed to get it? Would you be able to dispute that? That's how I understood the question, at least. Yeah. It makes a bit more sense in the context of the uh, as the answer earlier. The, the the answer earlier of there's always someone first down the ladder. This answer mm-hmm. makes more sense in that context, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a further question that's similar to that later on. Next question. Are there new discoveries and wrecks that I can get first footfall for? And it says, first footfall is recognized and recorded at a planetary level and not for individual points of interest. And that seems straight enough. They've always said that. That's pretty straightforward. Next one. We have, uh, if I change my name, will the first footfall change with it? And it says, similarly to records of other achievements, first footfall is treated as a historical and will be recorded with the commander's name at the time of exploration. This will not change if any name changes. I think that's perfectly fine. But that's interesting because they show something about their database structure, but that might be a little bit too nerdy to play into now, but that's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Why are they storing this string rather than a foreign key? Yes, why not using a foreign key to the commander instead of directly storing it in an in a text field? But Indeed. Can you, they, um, can you they, imagine the cross-indexing? <laughs> they have actually said before... Yeah, I do that the, kind um, of shit all the time. The, the first discoveries are stored on a, um, uh, a separate database to, um, to a lot of other player information, So the, um, and the records are static, um, so that, and that they're, they're tied to your... That, that, um, they're informed by your name when you sell the data rather than your account, if that makes sense. Is this one of those console PC kind of cross prey but not quite cross prey things, do you think? I've got no idea. No idea at no, all. I, I, I just all, vaguely remember them explaining. Stuff. Yeah, it's all back-end stuff, so yeah, a foreign key is a foreign key, but, but it, yeah, they, they store them could, as a string. It could be it could be performance because there's a point in if you have to constantly look up the commander name 
from yeah. a foreign key, then it's it's going to take some extra time to load the system on Indeed. their end. Which is what I was kind of alluding to with the yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were going to you were going to get me stuck going to full data uh, analyst mode there, and I thought no, yeah. I've had enough of that today already. Let's yeah. move on. I should use the key, the whole key, and nothing but the key. <laughs> so help me, COD. This is the this is the other question which has kind of been answered before. What happens if two people land first at the same time? And they've replied with, in the same way that Buzz Aldrin made way for Neil Armstrong to be the first man on the moon, the control to disembark is for an individual commander, and there will always be someone first down the ladder. This accolade will not be shared between commanders. Now, what I think they mean by there is what, you know, if you've got people in physical multi-crew and it says, right, I'll go outside, whoever goes outside first from that crew gets the footfall. Does that make sense to everybody? Is it definitely about when you first when you first press disembark as opposed to selling data? Well, you see that that's the thing because there might be a case where um let's say Neil and Buzz Buzz decides to go first, Neil goes second. But when they get back, Neil puts his data in first and then Buzz puts his data in second so Neil gets it. What happens if it's like Toy Story? With Woody and Buzz Aldrin decide to jump down the ladder together, hand in hand, and land at the same time. Well, That's I think right. it's up to the control system or whoever I... presses dis- disembark. Well, what do you first. want to? What do you want to? So, so let's say, Colin, you you're, you you travelled twenty thousand light years with Ben, and you've discovered this amazing planet, and you think it's like so amazing. I want to seal the moment between Ben and me. I'd I'm die. sorry, Shan, but I am not jumping out of Colin's ship, whether I'm holding his hand or not. <laughs> <laughs> the ladder's well, too narrow, Shan. I think in this case, it would be like what Neil Armstrong said to Buzz Aldrin. He says, I'm going out first, and it's prerogative. Even though I have been corrected that it's actually because Neil Armstrong was actually closer to the door. <laughs> <laughs> Neil was closer to the door, the Buzz couldn't climb over him. No, he yes, didn't. Um, so Neil Armstrong didn't go. Oh, look, alien! And then Buzz would sort of turn around, and he'd just jump out. No. <laughs> so you, you could say that that Neil made sure that Buzz was moon blocked. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Well, um, that's the whole of uh, the questions. They did go into a little bit of detail. Orange Phoenix did want some clarity on things, which was, uh, he said, I see that the console first footfall question was tactfully avoided. It's a bit shame that console commanders will be prevented from being able to ensure their first footfall on the planet of choice. Also in future, please don't patronise us because there are plenty to choose from. The console community finds it insulting. I fully understand the business decision, but it is totally unfair in my heart. To which Bruce has required, first footfall accolades will be available for full PC launch. I understand that you and the other console plane find this frustrating. However, I'd like to reiterate the following. Any landable, landable planets with a population greater than zero will be considered already claimed. We'll estimate with the launch of Odyssey, you'll have a landable planets increased by 20%. And with all this in mind, we are confident that there will be plenty of opportunities for commanders to make their point on mark at a later point. Um, it should be pointed out that I think a lot of people did want to claim 
systems in the bubble and there was going to be a big push for that but as in the bubble most of those systems are already claimed it does take a little bit out of the sting out of it i just can't see what the i just find answers like responses like that i I love orange phoenix it it just seems such such misdirection over something that has no impact on gameplay that really is a nice little bonus that is was an, an, an has always been an ancillary system I, I, I just don't i don't get nobody's being prevented from doing anything there are technical limitations it, it's harder to optimize a game that was originally designed for pc for a new generation of consoles presumably I, there are just so many reasons that i i don't think it's a, a i don't i don't think it, yeah. it is you think it's making a mountain out of a molehill? Oh, completely, yeah. Totally, I, you know, I, I, it also, I, I just, I don't know. I, there, are, there are bigger things to worry about. I, 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 really don't, I really don't mean to belittle things that people care about because uh, everybody, everybody cares about different things and, and, uh, and uh, I do respect that, but I, I, I certainly don't think it's worth bad feeling over. Um, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think Frontier are trying to patronise anybody. They, they, they are absolutely but, right that it's a very, very big galaxy. But okay, don't you think that this is maybe right. comes from a, a feeling that the console players have that they are being placed as a quote-unquote second rank? And, and to be honest, I can't blame them for feeling that way. The fact that they're going to have, what, half a year lack on uh, on the Odyssey update or something like that. It, it does, yes. It is a little bit like their second-class citizens, absolutely. But the, the, the game released on console after it released on PC. Lots of console, lots of console games release on console and then are ported to PC a year later. It doesn't mean that PC mm. players are second-class citizens. Some things are just native to a platform, and moving them to another platform takes a bit of time. Um, I, I really doing doing so, taking the time to do that properly. And as Cyberpunk has taught us, it, it is important to take that time. Otherwise, it's a car <laughs> crash. Um, Taking the time to do that properly isn't isn't an insult. It's not it's not weaponized. It's not aggressive. Um, it's just that platforms have different different requirements. There are different costs in time and effort in, to to port one thing to another. Elite started off as a PC game, and the, there's a brand new um, and 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 we're we're turning console generations this year. I, I, I don't know. I, I just it's a little bit. It's sort of taking an indirect result re, result of something and, and trying to uh, trying to pretend that it's an insult, really. I just, I just don't think it is. Okay, so, Suve, let's pretend that we could get things in the bubble where uh, where there are people living and you could actually get first football on planet, foot, first footfall on planets. You know, what would you... Would you not feel cheated out of say getting Sagittarius Eyes planet in inverted commas if you were a console player. No, because I've got no right to it. What what gives me the right? Absolutely well, nothing. You're, I'm, you're I'm, one I'm of a, the editors of Sagittarius Eye. That kind of gives you the no, in inverted commas right. No it, ab- no, it absolutely does not give me the right. I'm just a player like anyone else. I me me being an ultra nerd and making a magazine about it or spending a lot of time in that system does not give me the right to arrogate for my name on anything. And, and 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 neither does it for anybody else. I I, I just don't I just don't get. It. Yeah. I, I I get that if you play I, the I game a lot, you feel in the minority. And I, I know, I know, in the minority in that view. But yeah, you're fair play to you. And you you are, you are right. You know, I have no rights to anything in the lave system, which we couldn't get anyway. Precisely. But, I, I think that players are entitled to a lot of things. They're entitled to honesty. They're entitled to developers improving the game incrementally in good faith. They're entitled to be uh, have features added to the game that they promised several years ago. Um, 
you know, all, all that sort of thing. In in terms of having their names slapped on things, I don't think player. I don't think that's an entitlement that players can demand. I don't. I don't think it's a right. I don't. I don't think yeah, a lot I mean, of a lot of this right. convers, a lot of this conversation seems to come from a place of I deserve this. Why why can't I have it? And I I, I just I don't think that's the spirit in which it's in which the system was designed. And breathe. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Let, let's let's just stop this here. Um, Astro, can you have the last point? And then we're going to have to move on because this is... We're, we're yeah, sure. I, okay, so I just want to gonna take a point that's on the completely opposite side from what I said before. Um, because uh, some time back I played um, Monster Hunter World, which is originally a, a console game that is then ported over to PC. And there it was just normal that PC would only get the updates like half a year later. And going into the game, playing it on PC, I knew that that was the case. So maybe the problem here is that there's been some expectation management that's been missed a bit. I don't know. I mean, I still think this comes down to the COVID issues they've had. They've had to make a, a business decision mm. where it, it has been a case of, right, we're not going to be able to do both consoles and the PC at time. The most people play on PC and it's easier to develop on than the console because we were able to get builds out and test them without having any interference from, you know, Sony or, or Xbox. And yeah, it it feels to me like they've had to make this decision because of the present circumstances, not because basically they were malicious. And I think they're getting a little bit unfairly for that. But then again, maybe this is me just being an old softy. On... So, um, right, that's that for the moment. Um, obviously, today's stream was Super Cruise News number 22 with Bruce and Stephen doing the CG. So if you wanted to know how the CG should be done, have a look at how Bruce and Stephen are doing. So we'll move on to the in-game events of what's been happening in the galaxy this week. Well, the first thing that uh, happened was that the Empire denied that the secret prison was their secret prison. It just seemed to be a secret prison. <clears throat> Did anyone believe that? I just found it like that, Gov. Yeah. Well, if it was, if I was the Empire, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, w- I would like put a Federation flag over it or something. Well, th- that's what they've tried to do. They've, they've sort of said no, not us. They've basically said no. This is Federation false news, fake news, rather. Of course they do, regardless of <laughs> whether it, it's 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 theirs or not. Would would they admit it <laughs> if it were? Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, by the way, guys, yeah, we've got somewhere where we, we take all our undesirables, torture them, <laughs> make, reduce them to goo, and then we shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Quite, quite sure they'd admit to that. Um, next up, of course, there was the mining CG. Uh, now, this is still in effect uh, as of time of broadcast. Um, this is a chance for everybody else to get the Class 2 Seeker Mission missile rack with the Thermal Cascade. This was offered in October 3306 to pilots who helped defend um, Eurabia uh, system from Imperial forces. Now, there has been a little bit of confusion about this. Basically, the more that you manage to ship, the easier that the missile rack will be made available. Or rather, in order to get the missile rack, you have to, you're not going to automatically get it. You're going to have to go to the tech broker and buy it using mats. Now, the higher you do at the CG, the less mats will be needed. So, no, no, no. This is a global reward. 
Well, it's a global reward, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not for individuals. This is the. This is a very important point for the CG. Is that this is a global reward? So this would be made available to everybody that can unlock it, even if you make your elite account after the CG has ended. The whole point is that Frontier had got a lot of feedback on mm-hmm. on these uh, double engine uh, modules, and some if they weren't available, they couldn't play that week or. They may, yeah, yeah, may yeah. join the game later, but they won't have access to them still. Yeah, and that's I'm why sorry, they're doing this. I'm, I'm need, sorry, I join in the CG to get the reward. No, yeah. no I, I didn't need... make it clear enough. I do I do apologize for that. Um, yeah, the, the uh, enhanced missile rack will be available to buy from the tech broker, but depending on how the CG does, it will be cheaper. Yes. That's that's what I meant to say. Thanks for correcting me. But it will so, be cheaper for everybody. That's yeah, cool. Yes, that's very so, cool. So, so all of those who are doing the C the CG at the moment, thank you for your service. Keep yep. on at it. <laughs> we're encouraging you. you do the yeah. work, so we're going to have to. Yeah, I mean, I'm already doing. I'm I'm already got the T nine out there, so I'm I'm trying my best. <laughs> You're doing your part. I'm. <laughs> do you want to know more? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Moving on from the CG, we have more interesting things happening about the destruction of Starship One. First of all, Jupiter uh, Rochester was named as a co-conspirator in the destruction of Starship One, mostly because if the federal naval budget was cut, he was going to lose a lot of money. Then Admiral Vincent was found guilty of destroying Starship One and sentenced to life imprisonment. One small problem I have with this is that didn't the first guy who was charged was facing the death penalty? How come he faced the death penalty, yet the admiral's only sentenced to life? That seems mm. a bit, yes. Because the first guy wasn't an admiral. Yes, exactly. No, <laughs> so. yeah. well, they just bust him down to private and shoot him. Anyway, um, Jupiter Rochester himself has actually made a run for the permit lock system of HIP 54530. And has basically taken over the system there with a lot of his loyalist factions. Now, this also has an interesting knock-on for the Lake and Takeover, because wasn't it Jupiter Rochester who was behind the whole Lake on Takeover? And my law is not strong enough for that. <laughs> Where does Jupiter Rochester fit in with the Rochester family that Arissa was... Sorry, uh, Ashling was engaged to? Oh, it wasn't his brother, I believe. Is his brother. And the whole load of things about Core Dynamics is that he's been spinning off bits of Core Dynamics into his own personal empire, if you like, which is what he was trying to do with Lake. He was trying to take Lake on up. Now, with him now becoming a wanted man in the Federation, does that mean that the whole Core Dynamics Lake on thing is off? I hope not. I hope it is, because Lake on's awesome. <laughs> Three times seven for everyone. I hope I hope not because I was counting on that to uh, encourage Lake to make decent ships. You do make decent ships. It's just you don't like any of them <laughs> anyway. Well, the inside of Lake on ships look like some kind of grubby student flat. So yeah. Oh no, no, we've been over this before. Cool your jets for anybody who wants to know all about Shan's opinions of Lake on Lake on ships. There are previous episodes. You can start at episode <laughs> one and work your way forward. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think there might be some kind of CG involving HIP 54530 coming up soon? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's looking that way. Any reaction to the uh, 
the trial result. I like it. I, I like the I like the twists. It's not the it's not the exploration of the 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 kind of political soap opera that is that this is playing out as so far is, and I don't mean that uh, disparagingly, is not the angle of the Starship One destruction that I was most interested in. I was much more interested in Alzi's visions, you know, the, the the hidden caretakers of our galaxy, which appears to have been swept under the rug. You know, first of all, she she announces that actually she doesn't even remember saying that and she doesn't remember those visions and what you're talking about and what's that over there. And uh, and now now it's all courtroom drama. Uh, that's cool. You know, courtroom drama's fine. It's it's cool and it's great to flesh out the the galaxy and get to know the movers and shakers more, but I was much more interested in the the uh, the tinfoil hattery and the who are the aliens you know what what what's going on who are the hidden caretakers and all that stuff so I, yeah. I'm hoping that they return to that at some point Raxler it's Raxler <laughs> it's Raxler she got to, she got she's the only person in the galaxy that knows the the location of Raxler she's just got to remember it yes. <laughs> there's a there's a tin point theory for you you can have that one can yeah. <laughs> right no the the last bit was uh, and we touched on this a little last week. A warning about the fleet carrier uh, scammer scandal. Now, we didn't cover it last week because we ran out of time. The up and the short of it is that allegedly some players have been hoodwinked into being taken to a remote part of the galaxy with a with a jump drive that's too small and made to mine things for the carrier. So they're basically marooned while they're out there. Now, the we'd like to point out at this point that Shan had nothing to do with it. Although I do believe he's quite impressed. It's quite inventive, really, because in, in any MMO or any online game I've ever played, there's always been scammers. Mm. And just to be clear, my own view on this is the people who do this are complete ratbags, especially to new players. And they, the good Shan 2021 does not approve. But there's always been, in online games, scammers. And you kind of have to learn the scams. It's part of the learning to play the game is to know what the scams are. And uh, I, I was looking at this, is that I'm not sure they're as trapped as maybe they... Made out to be. be. Because if you think about it, so you're, you're a new player, you get saying, oh, come with this, and you'll earn millions of credits, etc. And you do earn millions of credits, you just don't earn as much as you could have done. So you end up, in quote, stranded in space, with millions of credits more than you had. And then what you could do is you could suicide winder back to the bubble, mm. sell your ship remotely, and you still got more credits than you had when you started off with. Yes, it's not as much as you thought you had, but right. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's quite as you know vicious as being stranded in the middle of nowhere than we thought. And You also got to remember that these are new players who didn't know about things like suicide winding back. There was also allegations of a lot of intimidation on the Discord server. And just let's just look at this. Polygon did an article on it. Obsidian has done um, an article on it. I do believe Astro's done something as well. It even appeared on the massively OP MMO site. And it's, it's, taken, it's taken root everywhere. And I think the main angle was this. Not the fact that the, the scam happened, but actually the people that did the scammer didn't scamming didn't turn out to be exactly pleasant it's been covered in most of the gaming press and all of the coverage that i've seen has not focused on the fact that they're nazis or whatever it's focused on the fact that it's supposedly exploitation well um, they're not nice people but you know i i would say 
the Discord issues, that's a matter for the Discord itself, because that's yeah. out of game. And it's um, and it's been and it's been reported and, uh, and hopefully dealt with. It's just the fact that in any other MMO, for me, who's been in MMOs and stuff like that for too many years, and I care to mention, it's kind of par for the course, part of the game. And as I say, you 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 just learn about it, and you, if you get caught, then you'll know better next time. And once people know about the scam and how it happens, they'll avoid it and they won't fall for it anymore. Yeah, funny you mentioned that it was very, very similar in um, a, in an idea that I had that I wrote up for um, one of the Sanctimonious stories, which you can find on the forums. <laughs> you gave them the idea. Uh, I'm not claiming that. <laughs> Definitely not want to claim that. In fact, if I remember, it was a Commander Shanigans that that Shenanigans that stranded the the Sanctimonious crew. Don't know why. <laughs> well, you wrote it, so you probably based it on. The complete misrepresentation of my character, and I think the the Twitch chat and uh, the the uh, YouTube chat can all be the judge and jury and executioner, if you wish, <laughs> to that statement. The last thing we're going to say on this is the pilot. Well, un- unless um, Astro has something to say. No, I covered it in uh, in in Hello Dave on Monday, and I yeah. think the problem I see with it is it can be very detrimental to to a new player. I think if you have that experience, and it could could very well spell the end of the elite career. I don't know how widespread it has been. Uh, to my understanding, it has been mostly happening on console. What I actually tried to do last weekend was I reset one of my many accounts, renamed it to something new, and mm-hmm. I just ran around. The new play area that's like also outside the, the the locked area, just to see if I could spot Any- anything. <laughs> yeah, if there's any like advertisement for hey, get a free mining ship and come on this fleet carrier thing going on in chat. So is he flying around as Commander Gullible or Commander? Yeah, exactly. Commander, <laughs> Commander <Yeah>. enslave me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, is that Ben's alternate name? Anyway, um, <laughs> I guess I, I I guess the point is though is for every scammer who's done this. There's at least fifty nice players you help out, new players and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So proportionally, it's not as though there are scammers infesting everywhere and da da da, and it's really toxic. They're very much in a minority, and the vast majority of players who play elite are welcoming mm-hmm. new players, and I think that's a key message to take away. Yeah, I, th- I think the the closest we've got to numbers is the article on Polygon, which was done by Charlie Hall, who's, uh, in my opinion, always does good coverage for Elite Dangerous. He said there was only about 20 players actually affected by this, and mostly on console. But um, I think, what's what's the name of the podcast? Hang on a second. Um, the one fuel. that we got. Yes, Squeaking Fuel. The Squeaking Fuel podcast, which covers a lot of the Fuel Rat stuff, they broke the story last week. And um, there was an awful lot of, you are joking. They, could, they couldn't believe that this was happening. So, yeah, there is a little bit of, you are. <laughs> Yeah, it's worth saying that um, the uh, uh, that Charlie Hall's coverage was was probably uh, is easily the best coverage of the issue out of all of the um, uh, all of the all of the magazines and websites that covered it. Charlie Hall's at Polygon was easily the most thorough. He was the only one that visited the Discord. He was the only one that uh, that, that spoke to Frontier. He was the only one who got had numbers. The, the rest of them just clutched at their pearls. If that makes sense. Here's an interesting thing. I've seen a lot of people. A lot of, I've seen some people. That they expected Frontier to step in and do something. Yeah, and I was thinking, are, are people breaking any rules here apart from being 
absolute douchebags. Are they breaking <laughs> any rules here? Um, yeah, exactly. I, exactly I, I'm sorry. I have to take issue with this. That's really unfair to douchebags everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I'm, I'm not sure if they are. Yeah, um, absolutely yeah. agree. They're, they're not. I mean, Frontier's approach to this has actually been, I think, has been spot on because they their response has been that they've responded with an in-universe PSA, which is absolutely the right thing to do because what's been going on has been uh, has been has been pla- pla- player interaction according to the uh, according to the mechanisms made available by the game and frontier mm. knew you know w- when they did the q the, the question the q and a sessions for fleet carriers lots of there were lots of questions about cash transfers lots of questions about mm. gold farming about about the um the vagaries that that come in when you when you allow uh value transfer between players in in on, online games and frontiers answers were always we know what we're doing here we know what we we, we we yeah i'm paraphrasing but they were always along the lines of we're we're aware of the risks we know what the um what sort of pandora's box we're opening um we'll review it we'll see how we go things are going to change there's going to be a lot of emergent behavior there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of knock-on effects that we don't anticipate but we're ready for and interested by i don't think that they'll be wringing their hands thinking oh god you know this isn't this absolutely isn't what we wanted they, i don't think they they planned for this but i, I think they certainly envisage something like this happening soon right well I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because in our chat room we have jugu games who is basically he does the the uh, the podcast, the Squeaking Fuel podcast, uh, and he has just updated us with a, a few little things. They sort of said they have got the numbers of the, the people involved, and Charlie Hall got the numbers from him, from them. He, the, he said there's an update that they've received news from Frontier that they've taken action in response to the enslavement of new players in the Elite Dangerous Galaxy. Frontier have re- reached the judgment that the actions of these players have taken breaches of the ED code of conduct by deceiving and exploiting other players. As such, the players involved in this activity have been excluded from open play, and assets which have been acquired through these means, including the carriers, fleet carriers, have been removed. So, that nice. is, I think... Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Wow. Um, however, let's see. Well, there's, there's more incoming. Um, the decision is being appealed against at the moment, and so it is possible that they may be partially or fully reversed. However, the slavers have reached out to them and asked us to share this information on their behalf. The new pilots initiative uh, as a group are not taking any position on the decision, as it's entirely within the gift of Frontier to determine whether what does or does not break their code of conduct. However, um, they would like to offer their condolences uh, on behalf of Operation Chainbreak for the effect commanders both the captors and cap the captives and captors i'm sure there'll be strong feelings on both sides of this outcome however we would ask that everyone make sure they remain within server rules and treat each other kindly over what is a very emotive subject so ed code of conduct yeah it makes a change doesn't it i mean however however long did it take frontier to actually ban proper exploiters and people who disrupted charity streams and goodness knows what else. That This sort of antisocial behavior, um, and I completely applaud what Frontier seems to have done. I'm really glad they've got the message finally that this sort of behavior is unacceptable and needs to be dealt with. Um, I was just going to say it's it's a pretty big fault face uh, in terms of w- the way I was ex- well the, the way I, I thought they were dealing with it. Um, it's, um, it's definitely a statement of intent, isn't it? it, it it's very much mm. 
this is th- this is the atmosphere we want in our MMO, and if you if you mess with that, then we'll we'll throw the ban hammer at you. Um, and so hats off to them if that's the line they're taking. It's, it's, it's just, it just surprises me a bit. Um, I was expecting Frontier would maybe they would do something update. What, not, what do I know? Like at Eula or something to say, don't do this in the future, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they are taking such a strong action. It actually surprises me. Yeah, um, maybe they've been burnt in the past with some of the exploits. Let's let's be honest. Some of the exploits in in the past have led to players having advantages when they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. and so on. Salome event, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but um, yeah. I, so maybe from one. now on, they're going to come down a little bit harder. On things like this, but there, I mean, there is a lot of people who are still in a little bit of oh, come on, this is just a setup for publicity, things like that. But we're, yeah, we Kai, are assured, Kai is absolutely certain that's what's happened. Yeah, but <laughs> we're assured have, by the fuel rats that it in. <laughs> I, I have I have people going all caps ek in uh, in my chat right now. <laughs> the gold neck. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, right, we're going to leave the in-game events, which means that. We have to put up with the vocal talents of um, <laughs> Souverine because it's... Store alert! There you go. Now, for the, all of you who are interested in such things, um, you've got... As you are bored of your flying coffin looking grey and drab, then you can, you can treat your Type 7 to a Predator paint job. That's an oxyboron right there. Predator... <laughs> Type 7. Uh, anybody else want a, a Predator for their Type 7? I, can <laughs> I want to make a Type 7 combat build just to see. <laughs> we'll probably disregard the hard point and just make it into a ramming build. Just <laughs> use the fact that the thing is heavy and just ram into people. Yes, well, we can provide a Predator to a T7 all the time. They're normally, <laughs> they're normally other players. So... <laughs> What we're going to do now is we're going to take a break and we will come back with our main discussion, which um, this week is discussing some comparisons with Star Citizen. Oh. We, we buy any ship. Bar none. We, we buy any ship. Bar none. Any model, any colour, any shape, any size. We, we buy any ship. Bar none. We here at We Buy Any Ship Bar None are ready to take your excess space travel vehicles off your hands. No more negotiating with dodgy space station vendors. We'll simply give you an estimated quote online. Then, when you get here, we'll point out all the little dints and scratches that make the price get smaller and smaller before we actually give you any money. And the beauty is, we take any ship. We buy any ship. Bar none. Terms and conditions apply. We buy any ship excludes trading in any of the following vehicles. Adder, Anaconda, Asp, Bauer, Cobra, Constrictor, Cruisers, Eagle, Falcon, Gecko, Griffin, Gear, Harris, Harrier, Hawk, Kestrel, Crate, Lanners, Lifters, Lions, Mantis, Merlin, Mori, Osprey, Panther, Puma, Python, Saker, Sidewinder, Skeet, Spar, Stowmaster, Tearsall, Tiger, Transporter, Turner, Viper, Wyvern, or any Imperial or Thargoid vessels. I was overseeing the delivery of some slaves to the starport in Exios, and a cleaning robot had just washed the floor, but not left a warning sign. I had to run after a slave that was escaping, and I slipped and fractured my wrist. I was delayed for ten whole minutes while the Medicomp repaired the damage. My time is billable. Can I get compensation? Yes, you can. I was on a regular trading run back to Seoul, and it was my job to repaint the outside of the ship. I was given the wrong kind of EVA clamps. Nothing bad actually happened, but it did give me a fright. Can I get compensation? Yes, you can. 
I was checking some robots through customs when I distinctly heard an official call the robots clanks. I was deeply offended, even though I'm not a robot myself. That's their word. You're not allowed to use it. Can I claim for moral outrage? Yes, you can. At Cowell and McGrath, we are now taking any kind of legal action. No case too small, no justification too frivolous. If you've been lightly inconvenienced, embarrassed, or in any way put out, then someone should be made to give you money. Don't be a stupid clank. Uh, excuse me? Cowell and McGrath, taking on any case, playing the percentages. And welcome back. Now, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about something which is unusual uh, with Lave Radio because we're doing a comparison. Now, normally we don't do this this kind of thing, but Star Citizen has been running a Xeno event for the last uh, week or so. And those of you who have um, played this would like to, you know, basically compare it maybe with um, how things have, have been going with, uh, say, our Xeno events over here. So, Ben, would you like to um, explain to people uh, what's been happening in this alternative universe? Yes, of course. So those of us on the stream might have been noticing I've been flying around in Star Citizen this evening, basically trying to do this Xeno event. And to be frank, not not succeeding very well. Um, well, that's part of the course of Star Citizen, I guess. Uh, we've had bugs. We've had thirty thousand errors. All, all the all the normal things that we we expect with this game, um, but that's not what we're talking about. I'm, I'm more I'm more wanting to describe the theory of the Xeno event, shall we say, um, and then compare that with what Elite Dangerous does with its CGs and stellar initiatives, even the events like the Halloween event and things like that as well. So the whole thing was a lot more okay. American started up, I guess you could say. Yeah, we had YouTube videos um, and there was forum posts and you know, it was very, it was a very big thing. And then, but what's nice is as soon as you get in game, you basically get an audio alert telegraphing something's happening. Uh, like a message pops up on my screen saying, we need help now. We need help. Please, you know, please, please help us. And then you're basically, that leads you to go and check a mission out in your, in your, in your sort of, in your heads up display where you normally check these things. That leads you onto, that sort of chains in to go and fly to a base, uh, which then goes off and actually says, we need you to do this. And there's there's multiple stages to the event. So the first part is basically collecting all the supplies. And that's only going to happen for a few days. And then it's going to move into the next stage. And then it's moving into the next stage and the next stage. But it's all nicely it's all nicely chained. It's it's properly sp the spaceship combat, there's air combat, there's exploring wrecks of ships. There's picking up cargo, and the cargo can be volatile, shall we say. It's very in-depth, but it also has certain things like, you know, for example, at the moment, everybody on my server, and you can only have 40 people on the server. How many? Have 40. 40, right. 50. 
It was 50, but since the recent patch has gone down to 40. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that surprised me too. Have to provide just over 200, well, about 300 tons of stuff to a fleet vessel. Uh, and some of that stuff is normal. Some of the stuff blows up when you go into frameshift drive if, uh, if we're playing Elite. Other stuff blows up after 10 minutes if you're... So you have to you have to go into frameshift drive to get there quickly enough. There's combat in the air where other ships are shooting around, flying around, shooting you while you're looking in the wrecks. Also, you have to defend the capital ship. There's also combat exploring the other ship with NPCs and things like that. I mean, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask all of you guys is, what do you think of what they're doing as an idea? You know, for something we could potentially do in, in Odyssey. It's it's essentially like a, a big chunky CG, but not about not about obviously filling buckets. It, it's a little. It, it's more. Um, it's it's a bit more flashy. It's a bit more um, sort of in. Uh, sort of seems like there's more moving parts. Uh, it, it presumably takes a bit more um, in terms of development effort to put on something like this. Um, it, it's very, very cool. I think it's very risky for Star Citizen to do it now. Uh, in in Chris Roberts's Christmas uh, address, he um, he said there's one line uh, in which he said, um, "This is part of a uh, a move w- in which we are encouraging you to start thinking of uh, to change the way you think about Star Citizen and to start thinking of it as playable now rather than a work in progress." Uh, ra- sorry, rather than a um, not working progress, rather than a, a sort of um... ongoing alpha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, r- exactly. Rather than an ongoing alpha. Uh, and this, uh, I- I've been keeping up on uh, how Ben and Kai as well have been going in uh, in the event over the last uh, week or few days, and it definitely sounds like it has not been smooth sailing so you know chris roberts is basically saying i'm fed up of everybody calling it an alpha i want you to start um i want you to start uh thinking of it and and talking about it as playable now that's fine cool okay so you're putting on this big live event set for your playable now game brilliant um if it's a clusterfuck if it's full of ctds and um and bugs where you drop through the floor and where you lose hours of your progress you are that that is really going to stretch this this claim that it's playable now. It doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. if some if somebody logs in for six hours, does a load of mining, gets involved in the thing, gets stuck under the surface of a planet, loses all their progress, and rage quits. That is not very playable now, is it? That's that's a little bit. This is a janky alpha. Um, so I so I think it's ballsy. I think I think it's a cool idea, but if it doesn't if it doesn't work, it's really it it, it potentially will harm st- uh, the Star Citizen project. They've been quite lucky over the last sort of three years because um, since about 2016, a lot of a lot of the press have sort of just sort of left them alone and they, there have been relatively few hit pieces in the last couple of years on Star Citizen, which have, has let them just get on with it. If, if they're poking their head up with, uh, above the parapet doing things like this, it does rather need to go well in order to, for, for those attitudes to remain relatively quiescent, if that makes sense. I didn't see the uh, <clears throat> sorry, didn't see the Christmas address, but if I okay, I think Star Citizen is more playable than people give it credit for, especially people who haven't tried the game themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's at least been my personal experience. And you could go back and find all live streams of me saying I'll never touch the thing with an eleven foot pole. 
Uh, yet, yet here I am doing Star Citizen video from time to time and really enjoying the game. I would love to see them beginning to move the game towards a playable state rather than a feature complete state. If that is true, if they actually want people to start thinking of it as a playable game, they need to get rid of that alpha label they still have on all their updates. It still says alpha something, something, something. Then they need to get rid of that. They need to begin calling it at the very least beta test. At least get rid of that because, and they need to back it up. The problem is it still has bugs and it's still sometimes you just get kicked for no reason and lose a few hours of progress. And that is mm. immensely frustrating. So I think if they want to go in that direction, what they should do is they should focus on getting the stuff that is there working and being stable rather than what they've been doing so far, which is getting the game feature complete. So they have a lot of stuff in the game, but not of all of it is necessarily working super well or super balanced yet. Even now, even still, getting in lifts is janky. Uh, getting in trains is even scarier. Opening doors <laughs> is hairy enough. Um, getting out of bed can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting, but that's true in real life, I suppose. <laughs> um, if, if it were that frequent in real life, I would stay in my bed all the time. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It, the game is incredibly bug ridden. Um, and I, I don't think anyone, anyone on the show, anyone who's played the game is going to say otherwise. But it's the event that I'm, I'm thinking about. And, you know, I, it feels almost like what I was dreaming the chain missions would actually be. Because um, it's, it's a little bit shorter than a proper CG. It only lasts. It lasts a couple of hours, maybe. So the question I'm going to ask then, yeah, uh, is if this is like chain, like a chain missions, are these dynamic events that were supposed to be happening automatically in the game to you, or is it uh, basically like the game? Do they feel artificial in terms of, uh, you know, hey, it's alien invasion time, and you can set your watch by it, and off it goes? Do they sort of feel? I don't know, just tag, tag along rather than as part of the overall narrative? Yeah, I mean, in some respects, I see what you're saying. And in some ways, you're right, because you, you know that sort of, okay, the event's finished, it'll start up again in a couple of hours. But I think that's also kind of fair enough, because it would suck if, okay, well, the event, this part of the event's done, and if you weren't playing between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, it sucks to be you. It wasn't was a criticism, because... No, no. Um, I'm sure people are thirsty so they could do the drink, but in Guild Wars 2, there are world bosses which can sort of take up to 150 people to take down yeah. and kill. And they operate on a four to six hour rotation. So, you mm-hmm. know, what's the time? Oh, it's the quattle time. And, you know, they, they happen at set times. And, but because they need so many players, you need them at set times. Otherwise, you'd never get enough players to do the event. Yeah. Don't they yeah, have like a, a large capital ship size thing at the end? Yes, there is. Yeah, okay. Um, so the well, at the moment, if you played the alpha, then you if you played the alpha for the alpha, then you know what all the different phases are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I'll give them credit for, actually. That you know they they spoiled their event in inverted commas by testing their event so that you know everyone could find out what was going to happen. Um, has the alien menace? Has that been? It's not. Te- or are they so, suddenly coming from nowhere? 
so as Kai's rightly saying, it's not technically it's I don't quite understand the whole lore of of the elite universe. It's it's Z- Xenothreat isn't an anti-Xeno thing. It's fighting fighting against an anti-Xeno terrorist who's pissed off at the local authorities for accepting alien Z- Xeno oh, alien citizens. Z- Xeno in this context is about um is about uh, human immigrants as opposed to aliens, I believe. Or is it is it about um is it about the uh, the other sentient races? I don't. I thought know. it was about other sentient races, but it, I mean, I'm basing that purely off the off their armor, as I, I don't know enough about the lore of the game to know that well enough. Uh, Kai probably knows actually. So um, these this mission chain that you refer yeah. to, um, uh, th- these missions is it, is it kind of kind of like a small little mission pack, say a, a three or four, <sighs> say like a small. DLC it's hard, to, for it's hard to describe, I guess. I mean, it's like it's not like no, it's not like DLC for Wing, for Wing Commander. It's as I as I said, it's like you get you get a message saying come to, come here. Mm. I like the fact they're chaining into where where we are, mm. and that telegraphing message leads to a mission. The mission points to a ship that says fly here, mm-hmm. and then that once you get there, then you actually get told exactly what needs to be done right now. And then while that's all going on, there's a few other branches, I guess you could say, that are also happening. So while you're essentially filling up the buckets, you have to defend your capital ship as well. Right. And that's, you know, and you have to fight other fighters and you have to fight NPCs on, on wrecks and things like that. And potentially you have to deal with other humans being, you know, coming in and pirating you. You know, okay. The, um, um, on Saturday the other day, there was a whole load of human human commanders who were basically fighting the people who were trying to defend the capital ship. I mean, how does this feel, say, to the equivalent of the old interstellar stellar initiatives? Is it so much more interactive? Right. So much more interactive. Um, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm See, literally I'm... getting messages on. Yeah, it's it's. You know, like the I, I Bring Friends. Yes. Yeah, it's like but, the I Bring Friends video. I'm getting those alerts coming up on screen just now saying, you know, get the hell to our, get to our ship just now. Uh, they, they're getting really quite uppity that I haven't joined them. Yeah, it definitely feels much more like the, you know, almost like the I Bring Friends video. Right. Uh, but th- this is still a, what, a hand-coded event. I think it's incredibly hand coded. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, it's not like the this is triggered in some kind of like the chain missions in Elite. I see. I'm just trying to find if there is mm. a, an equivalent in Elite, or whether or not this is is it a kind of a quest that you could do in old MMOs, so everybody can run this same mission again, this same event again and again. <sighs> It's almost like a group quest, I guess. You know, you all basically get the same thing, don't you? I guess the best way to describe it, if you wanted to do an elite equivalent, would be a chain of mini community goals that instead of running over a week, it likes a community goal that runs over an hour and then there are like multiple stages in it. So you like complete stage one, then you have to go and do something else for stage two and something else for stage three, kind of. Ah, right. Okay. 
Yeah. That that kind of makes sense. Because there's the closest that we don't really have an equivalent in Elite, but it's the yeah. closest way I think it can be described. Yeah, but um the, the the thing that I'm asking for is it is asking is is it like in other MMOs like <clears throat> Guild Wars 2? No, I don't know whether Chan they had these things in Guild Wars 2. But you know, you're you're given a quest by a, a quest giver, which is basically a mission which you go to point A, point B, do do stuff to each bits, and you get interrupts. It, it doesn't work like that in Guild Wars 2. The, there are no quest givers. You Basically, you're out in the world, you're exploring stuff, you see stuff happen, I don't know, like a settlement being attacked by monsters, and you suddenly pile in and mm-hmm. start defending the settlement very dynamically. So it's, there isn't anyone that says, oh, these monsters are attacking our house. Please go and kill 10 of them and come back when you're done. That doesn't exist in Guild Wars 2. You're, you're out and about, you're exploring, you're doing stuff, you see stuff happen, then you decide whether to intervene or not. And if you manage to su- succeed, so say, for example, there's a quest, there's a, an event where uh, monsters are attacking a bridge. If you fail to defend the bridge, then they'll blow this bridge up, and for the next period of time, you'll have to go. Yeah, you'll have to go the long way around to, until you do another event to repair the bridge. You know the comparisons between a comparison between what is known as a theme park or or the you know the usual sand. Oh, area. this is definitely this is definitely theme park. Yeah, this is this is very definitely theme park. And it's like oh, I saw something on the Frontier Four the other day asking for almost like a games master to be done for Elite Dangerous. A what, sorry? A Games Master for Elite Dangerous. So somebody whose job it is to create, like, the Halloween event. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, so they, they... And they could potentially even reach in and take over NPC character ships and things like that. They might have the tools to display the story in-game, I guess is the best way I could describe it. So, you know, allow them to dynamically create a mission or allow them to... You know how when the Thargoids came, mm-hmm. Frontier sent out a an alert saying, you know, oh my god, the Thargoids are coming, something like, you know, they sent out... But it was a system alert, and they just used their system broadcast tool to do that. Mm. Actually, um, it was... It was, um, it was Ed, Ed was, yeah. Was, yeah. yeah, I was flying wing with him, and yeah. what you did was that the... Unveiled the Thargoids, and then he sent out a, a message alert system wide at the time. Yeah, exactly. This is answer about having a GM is it's great for a single one-off event, which if you miss it, you miss it. But for mm. an ongoing campaign over several days, mm. you tend to want to be able to automate it, uh, and yeah. then you run into the risk of well, it's monster o'clock, and you join in. So. Yeah, and, and that's why you know this is done every couple, of, yeah, every couple of hours essentially. The thing about this kind of thing is, didn't Dave and Braben say that he wanted to avoid this kind of theme park idea within Elite Dangerous? Yeah, isn't that yeah. scenario? They they are a bit, yeah, they are a bit like that. Elite structure is weird because it it the the fact that the server the state of the server changes from week to week according to according to what levels have been reached by players at different filling buckets, basically. It, it gives it sandbox elements. But the structure of Elite is still a theme park MMO. I think Star Citizen, when they get um, when they get 
uh, iCache and server meshing, it will feel it will be a, it will be a true sandbox. But until then, it's um, until they get those two things, it will definitely be a uh, a straightforward theme park MMO. I think the only MMO I have ever seen which have managed to do the live events, these live events of um, developers taking over as games masters for for a while, was on the Matrix Online, and I must admit, it was absolutely fantastic when these events happen. But as Shan has pointed out, if you missed it and you couldn't get online at that time, it was, you know, it was gutting that you missed it, and you do have that feeling of missing out. Yes, I was about to say the there's been instances in other games that I've been in where developers have directly taken over the event, like a games master, but mm. they've usually been it been celebratory, like the end of the beta test phase. And things like that. I mean, the other example, I think, which wasn't really dev run, was the Salome event. But that got criticism because it was a kind of issue didn't manage to get in the instance. It was just people jumping around trying to find the instance. So you have to be very careful when you design your events that you don't fall foul of the game architecture. Because you know, one of the things about I think about Elite, which would prevent you doing the sort of event that we've talked about in Star Citizen, is because it uses instancing, and it would be very difficult. You spend forever trying to get into the instance where the games master was to do anything. I mean, it sounds interesting what the what they're doing over in Star Citizen, but um, we're going we're going to have to leave it just for the moment. We're getting the time again. One final thing that I did want to touch on, um, Astro. You did a, a video uh, not so long ago about the fact that you compared the dev diaries from from Star Citizen and Elite. I mean, do you yeah. do you want to just explain that a little bit? Yeah. So it was uh, it was mentioned in in Hello Dave. There was uh, the developers from Star Citizen has an equivalent to the dev diaries in Elite. They call them Inside Star Citizen, but they are essentially solving uh, trying to to do the same thing. They're trying to give a uh, give the players and the community an insight into what is going on with some future content. And this specific one was about some of the new planet tech they're doing in Star Citizen. And I just thought it was there was such a sharp contrast for me between the way that it was done for Star Citizen and the way it was done for Elite. Because if we look at the um, if we look at the dev diaries, we see. Um, we've now seen a few seconds of gameplay, but most of it is we might see some renders of like design uh, for different weapons. Um, I mean, other than that, it is a, uh, a, a member from Frontier, an employee from Frontier sitting clearly in the studio in front of a green screen, and it all feels very um, scripted. They're very pretty, and they're very well-produced, but it's very scripted, whereas if you look at the Inside Star Citizen video, it was a developer with his headset with a boom mic that sounded like boom mics does, and a webcam that was not bought this year. But what we did see was he was sitting there with the developer interface, and he was saying, so here we have a planet, and I'm now going to make a river. So I'm going to go, I want the river to go from A to B, and then he showed how their new like tech could go and say, okay, so it calculates this, this, that, and now look, I can add trees here, I can do this and that, and I can make a crater here and a little hill and a 
happy little tree on top or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Ross reference for you. But, but not just that sharp contrast of what we see in Elite seems to be something that has pretty much been storyboarded from the get-go to where you basically just say, hey, you have uh, 15 minutes, just go. Uh, look, explain this thing in 15 minutes. And I think that's a very interesting way to look at two different approaches of going at it. I much prefer what they do with the Inside Star Citizen video to the Dev Diaries. The Dev Diaries would be good if they were teaser trailers, because that's what they are. In my mind, I don't think they're Dev Diaries. A Dev Diaries should be much more in-depth into the nitty-gritty details, like the, the, the questions they answer every Friday. That level of... Uh, of details is what I want to see. I want to see what happens. Okay, so like we want to build a base. How do we build a base? Okay, take me through the steps from like okay, so here it is in the first stage. Then it went over to the uh, to the art team, and they said, oh no, it needs to be this and that. And then they changed it. Then they show how they can move buildings around and reuse assets and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that would be much more interesting than having these. Um, promotional trailers that just trickles a little bit of breadcrumbs to us every time. Absolutely. Abs- here, here. That is such a good point. The, the dev diaries for Odyssey are, are really just trailers. They're, they're, mar- they're, just, they're just marketing blurb. And there's, don't, don't get me wrong here. I really don't want people to think that I'm, I'm disliking the, um, the dev diaries. I think they're wonderful and they're very pretty and I love to watch them and I'm always looking forward to the next dev diary. But... I think the name Dev Diary may be a little bit misrepresenting what's actually shown in the videos. And I would yeah, love them to be actual Dev Diaries. Yeah, they used to do these in-depth dives into stuff like exactly. um, how the, the Thargoids swarms would work or mm-hmm. um, having Dr. Ross or, or Davon to explain um, how the server backend or the, the Stellar Forges works. I mean, I must admit, I have been, I have been kind of missing that for the... Uh, for this run-up to Odyssey. Is that the kind of thing that you need, that you feel you've got that itch that needs to be scratched? Exactly. When I heard they were going to reintroduce the Dev Diary, I thought that was it. I thought that was what they're going to do, and I thought, this is this is wonderful. And I was expecting them to post 20-minute, half-an-hour videos where they would go into details with one topic. Um, and really, And I don't mind that it's not a finished product. And then very specifically, when, what in the in the Inside Star Citizen video, he said, "What you're seeing here is how I would build a river from a programmer's perspective. What's going to happen next?" He also said, "Is now I'm going to take this. I'm going to send this over to the art team, and they're probably going to make a billion changes and say those types of leaves on this type of planet is not right." And you sit mm-hmm. as a programmer and go, "Okay, <laughs> I." I well, then we change it to another types of leaves on that kind of plant, and, and and so it doesn't have to be finished to show it. That's my point. I, I completely and utterly agree with you. However, there is one thing that I've heard at about RSI and things like that, which is: imagine you are a developer, and you had to spend however long each month preparing to show your your work. To the to the public, and how many man hours is lost to prepare for that? But how many man hours do you think has been spent on the Dev Diaries for Elite? Yeah, I'll then, bet, then, you, then, I'll bet yeah. you it's considerably more. Yeah, but it's not developers doing that. That's the CMs doing it. 
and this you know the, the, so whereas it's it feels like you know, this would be the equivalent of of Dom or Kay or somebody like that spending a good day probably a good couple of days working on a presentation and not working on planetary generation but that highlights by my point exactly as you just said it's not the developers so why is it called the dev diary yeah yeah i totally agree i, I would just say about the the star citizen ones um they uh yes they eat into development time but it absolutely is uh that they they should do them and should, they should keep doing them and they, could, they should do more of them because it's a work in progress crowdfunded game and it is the chalice that they've chosen to sip from um it's uh, with with the amount of money that they expect people to to give them for a game which is still a work in progress. Dev expecting devs to um, to give up a couple of hours on a Friday to to make a bit of a, a a video is the very least that CIG can afford to do. I think. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to leave it there uh, because uh, I'm to say we have run out of time, and I'm going to have to start to move on to um, other things quickly. Um, so, in the community news this week, um, well, our community corner says that gold sellers have arrived in Elite Dangerous. We have mm. people offering accounts, no, no, offering to give people 1 billion credits for $75. That's steep. It is quite steep. Buy the game <laughs> several times over for that. Well, I was just—I was just thinking how much money I could earn by selling off my account. Um, I thought it was—I um, thought it was—it was quite low. Like a billion, a billion took me. Um, if if the most you can earn in the game is is a hundred million an hour, which I'm a, I'm a bit out of date. I'm not. I haven't I haven't looked into that kind of thing recently. But I'm pretty sure that's a reasonable estimate. That's um, that's ten hours work for seventy five quid. That struck me as. Although, um, although to be fair, I mean, yes, it's against the Euler and stuff like that. But if you want to sell credits. Then you can quite easily do it without, you know, behind the scenes. You don't need to have sell it on eBay. There are other ways of doing it, of gold selling. But so the account in question, remind me of the stats because was it like triple elite with all the ships unlocked and no, no, no it's, it's literally just gold. It's just, it's just, it's just gold. Basically, yeah. he will. You turn up at his fleet carrying. He'll give you two hundred tons that would be worth a billion credits, uh, and off you fly. So they don't even do it like trading back and forth, so they don't have to. Yeah, effectively. That, okay, that just seemed a lot easier just to like trade the same item back and forth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Kind of inevitable with fleet carriers because everyone said it when they were introduced. Oh, it's going to introduce gold selling. So yeah. my point is, is why is it taking them so long? I must admit, I was thinking that as well. I think it's because Elite Dangerous has now got a little bit more popular than it used to be. So moving on from that, um, the Anti-Xeno Initiative, the Eye of Odyssey event, has now finished. Um, so they'd like the Anti-Xeno Initiative would like to thank everybody who's taken part, and congratulations on the winners who had to race around, shoot some Thargoids, uh, and, and get back to base. Um, effectively, the winner was uh, Commander Erroneous Stormrage and a Crate Phantom, who managed to do the tasks in eight minutes and three seconds. Second place went to Commander Audrian uh, in a Crate Mark II. Uh, he did in 8 minutes 19 seconds. And uh, the third place was to Commander 
hyper recursive in a challenger who did it in eight minutes thirty three seconds. If you look at the task list, it's it it was scary to be honest because basically it was not only taking a sample of a, a thargoid, it was also taking one out. So um, yes, and, it and is, collecting it's a metalloy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so effectively, it was it it was um. I mean, we did ask Mal and uh, Psychic whether they're going to take part in it, and they were said no. It would take us at least half an hour, so we wouldn't even get our names on the board. And yeah, eight minutes. That's fast. impressive. Um, so, uh, as you've as you've heard, we've had um, Down to Earth Astronomy has been uh, with us all uh, all this episode. Thank you. So, we've just like give you the opportunity to explain. Um, basically what your uh, broadcasts on YouTube and Twitch are about. So I post, um, main, my main focus is videos that I post on YouTube and it will be at YouTube. It will be a variety of like, guides, tutorials, or just, you know, flying around in uh, elite, sometimes star citizens having fun. Um, and my live streams also varies a lot. Depends Whatever project I'm working on could be a ship build. It could be some exploration streams, going out and just explore the black, those kind of things. Um, which is live streamed every Tuesday about the same time as us. But we're, we're, not, <laughs> yeah, we're not holding that against you, <laughs> aren't we? No, we're being. I thought you said you were supposed to be nice, Shan. I am being nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us this week, and uh, um, obviously we will put any links in our show notes for any who'd like to catch up with. Point. Um, so I'm moving on to any other business. So this this one caught my eye, uh, and I just wanted a quick two seconds from everybody what they thought to this. Um, a lot of ex Bioware devs have been uh, talking to thegamer.com, and what they've said one of the things they would love to do is Elite Dangerous, but set in the massive universe. What what do you guys think of that? Oh, I think it's I love, brilliant. I, I love the Mass Effect universe, and I mean, imagine being able to play Mass Effect, but with a full galaxy at our disposal. I would still do, you know, have us doing FTL travel using the oh, using the beacons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd also obviously, you know, let me fully explore the co- Citadel. And everywhere else. Are they talking about a multiplayer? Yeah. Yes. They're, they're, game they're, or they're I mean, I guess what the genre are talking about? Because a Mass Effect in an MMO based on Elite would be very cool. Mass Effect using Elite dangerous resources, as it is in Elite, which isn't really an MMO, would be less interesting to me. Do you see what no, I mean? Yeah. What they're wanting was they were wanting an open world type game. Light, uh, elite dangerous, but in the Mass Effect universe, elite dangerous. Yeah. Well, use the use the Cobra engine, but make Mass Effect using Mass Effect assets. Yeah, using Mass Effect assets. So, what's the difference between that and a Mass Effect MMO? Is elite dangerous an MMO? Oh, now we're asking the real questions. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it was more about elite structure, whereby loading screens are non-existent or disguised. Um, it's totally freeform. You can go where you want, um, as opposed to sort of 
uh, episodic, more linear, more uh, more obviously yeah. curtailed structure. That was that was my impression of of what of the comparison they were making, like Blaze Your Own Trail kind of game. Yeah, yeah, precisely that. Yeah, so so rather than like we wanted to copy Elite's setting or any specific aspect of Elite's gameplay or something like that. On that little thought experiment, uh, we're going to have to move on. We're not going to be able to do the questions this week. Commander Cardson, I know that you've put a fantastic uh, long answer in, in the thread. We appreciate it. We'll cover it next week. Honest. Uh, it's just time is against us. Uh, I'm going to do a quick shout out. So we've got Commander Ivlif, uh Mephisto um, is arranging a fleet carrier assisted version of the cannon challenge. So you come along to the comfy cannon cruise, uh, followed in by Commander Markson Thissus. He steps onto the cannon challenge air to visit every life form and notable stellar phenomena discovered by research. Um, to participate, hop onto the fleet carrier Koshov XLF-5XY in the Verati system at uh, until um, 3 o'clock UTC on March the 14th. The journey is planned will to take four to five months for an approximately 448,000 light years uh, through over 1,006 systems. Um, for more information, uh, we'll put uh, the Twitter handle and the email on the, in the show notes. Um, That's a lot of tritium. That is a lot of tritium, and it's an awful lot, a lot of jumps. So commitment is needed there. Um, our sister station, Hutton Orbital Radio, it broadcasts on a Thursday at uh, 8.30 GMT. You can tune in at twitch.tv slash Hutton Orbital Truckers, or if you just want the audio, go to radio.forum.com. Uh, for the descending commander that likes a bit of CQC action, uh, check out the CQC Discord at discord.me slash dangerousCQC. Um, that will help you find a match or people to play with. Uh, across um, all three platforms, whether it's PS4, PC, or Xbox. Uh, for those of you who want a literary discussion about sci-fi and fantasy books, please subscribe to the Data Slate podcast, which is created by our station commander, Alan Stroud. Um, we're also going to give shout-outs to the following fellow Elite Dangerous podcasts, which have been appearing in the last year, or there are standard, our standard regular contributors. So we have hello to the Loose Screws, Elite Week, Flight Assist, whose the second season will be coming to. For Spanish speakers, speakers, we have the Elite Cast. There's the Canon Podcast, the Fatherhood Podcast, uh, Squeaking Fuel, as we've mentioned earlier, uh, and the Guard Frequency. But they do other space sims as well. Um, and you know, you do have to wonder whatever happened to the Pixel Bandits, um, guys? If you if you I know they, they still do something occasionally on YouTube, but I've heard their their podcast for quite a while. But we'll give them a shout-out anyway. Um, we'll also like to thank Massively OP, uh, one, in my opinion, one of the best websites out there, for giving Live Radio a shout, being the first uh, Elite Dangerous podcast um, when they were doing an article on the perfect 10 guys to podcast for your favourite MMOs. Which I think when they say first, nice. they mean oldest oldest is still <laughs> let's, let's be honest and anybody in the previous list can take us up that as well so <laughs> well, i think the accolades keep going because not only are we highly ranked in new zealand and turkey and lebanon yeah exactly you see so huge I'm Shepherd, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. oh <laughs> yeah. 
I, we do have to apologize. It's not Czechoslovakia. It's just Czech. Because Czechoslovakia doesn't exist anymore. Do apologize. It's hey. Czechos. We're top podcast at Czechos. Uh, so we'd like to thank to everybody who's been in the Twitch chat or, or on YouTube uh, giving comments. We do enjoy. We do uh, look at them as we, as we are broadcasting, but unfortunately sometimes. Uh, but that is it for another episode of Live Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email at info.laveradio.com. It is up at facebook.com slash laveradio. Tweet us at laveradio. You can join our Discord server by going to discord.io slash laveradio. Uh, you can have a TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out and chat, which you can find at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Do get in touch if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in the episode. Uh, Lave Radio is recorded live on a Tuesday at 30 uh, GMT and streamed out live at com. So thanks to Ben, thanks to Shan, thanks to Souverine, and special thanks, of course, to Down to Earth Astronomy for joining us this week. Uh, and we have to give our special thanks to our tech specialist. That's the Chris Mark for Eternal. Uh, until next time, Commanders, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Forget the Uranus talk. This is the new outro. You've been dying for something to replace your Uranus. (laughs) I don't know. I'm quite attached to this one, to be honest. That News Digest, 9th of February, 3307. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, don't get carried away. Minor confusion, as Ryder revises. Putting your best foot forward. Don't get carried away. Pilots Federation has issued an emergency bulletin relating to the indentured miners scheme we reported on last week. The so-called 
kidnapping scheme is reported to be operating the HR 6828 system and it targets commanders who have been recently issued with their Pilots Federation licence. The way it works is this. Fleet carrier owners of evil intent are believed to befriend new commanders and tell them they can work together to become rich. They apparently encourage the commanders to kit their ship out for mining and dock aboard their fleet carrier, which then jumps off to a remote system with the docked mining ships on board, where the new commanders are set to work mining hotspots to sell to the fleet carrier at a price well below the galactic average. Because the new commander's mining build has a limited jump range, they are marooned and at the mercy of the fleet carrier owner. All commanders new and old are being advised to exercise caution if hailed and encouraged to equip their ship for mining. They are also advised to be extremely cautious before docking on a fleet carrier whose owner is unknown or whom they have only just met. Fleet carriers can jump a lot further than even the best equipped ships and being marooned in a distant star system really isn't as much fun as it sounds. Minor confusion as Ryder revises. Commanders have been complaining about a distinct lack of clarity from Liz Ryder over her Kickstarter campaign for improved missile racks. In a hurried post made on the Pilots' Federation forum, but not available in the information provided in Commander's cockpits or in starports, Commander Paul Crowther, a spokesperson for Liz Ryder, changed the rules of engagement in two important ways that are extremely likely to cause significant discontent in the ranks. For one thing, it turns out that Ryder only wants mined commodities, not exactly the same staff if he's been bought from somewhere like a fleet carrier. This is presumably because she wants the equivalent to fresh dew-covered flowers cut freshly from the icy or metallic ring garden. Not ones picked up hurriedly at the fleet carrier convenience store. It's just not the same. However, this has caused problems for some fleet carrier owners who were completely unaware of the option to transfer cargo to and from their fleet carriers using the right-hand cockpit panel, and who have been routinely storing cargo by selling it to themselves. Because if they sell the goods they just mined to themselves, it is no longer counted as mined by Liz Ryder. Not because it wasn't mined, but because Ryder just says so, and she makes the rules, right? Let's take a hypothetical example. Let's say a commander called Rincewind Kumri. This is a purely imaginary name and nothing to do with any real commander. Just imagine that they spent two days mining 756 tonnes of ore. For Liz Ryder. Every now and again he'd take what he'd mined back to his fleet carrier, and because he knew no better, sold it to the fleet carrier. When he had enough ore, he jumped over to Eurybia, bought the ore back from his own fleet carrier, flew it into the starport and sold it. And got no credit or acknowledgement from Liz Ryder, whatever. The putative commander, Rincewind Kumri, was hypothetically a bit pissed off, to use his own imaginary words. There's another thing too, though. The already published rules state that if the campaign is successful, the high-capacity ultra-lightweight missile rack can be unlocked for purchase from human technology brokers by taking them a selection of engineering materials in the normal way, but with a special discount to make it easier to unlock for the first two weeks. You can then go on to buy the unlocked module at your convenience 
whenever you wish. Well, Commander Crowther explained that, in fact, it'll all work, in his words, differently to how you may expect. When you go to a human technology broker to get one of these lightweight, high-capacity missile racks, you won't need to unlock it, but neither can you buy it just with credits. You'll need to buy each copy of the missile rack using the sorts of resource you might use to engineer a module, namely protolite alloys, conductive ceramics, hybrid capacitors, phosphorus and osmium. This is because this is a very special engineered module, not the commoner garden muck you normally get at a human technology broker, and Liz Ryder still needs the materials used to do the engineering. There will be steep discounts on the amount of materials needed in the first two weeks. So if you want one, make sure you're in the queue on the 12th of February with all the engineering materials you need, plus the osmium. Who thought it would be a good idea to require osmium? And in entirely unrelated news, Fleet Admiral Lucas Vincent has been found guilty of trying to assassinate President Halsey and has been sentenced to life imprisonment, while accomplice and CEO of Core Dynamics, Jupiter Rochester, has fled the Federation and set up shop in the permit-locked HIP 54530 system, along with loyal Core Dynamics employees as the Jupiter Division. Rochester has apparently started calling himself Supreme Executive Rochester, and plans to prove in due course that corporate governance is the best sort of governance. He's likely to start launching electric roadsters into space on rockets next. Putting your best foot forward. Continuing their efforts to make sure commanders throughout the galaxy know what to expect when they're issued with their getting out and walking about permits in May, the Pilots' Federation has issued a frequently asked questions guide to claiming your first footfall. Here's what they said. Question. Will I be able to disembark on every planet I land on? You can get out your ships and SRV and explore the galaxy on foot, but you can only do this if you can actually survive on the planet you parked upon. If it's a 10G planet, you couldn't get up and walk about, even if you wanted to, because you'd weigh the best part of a tonne. If the temperature's high enough to reduce you to a small charred pile of soot the moment you open the airlock hatch, then no, you will not be able to get up and walk about. Is first footfall available to be claimed for every planet? What year do you think this is? We've been exploring the galaxy for more than 1,300 years. If you turn up at a planet that has humans already living in planetary outposts and settlements on the surface and try to claim you're the first person to ever set foot there, you are going to be laughed off the planet. Planets and moons in occupied systems and some bodies of historical interest can safely be assumed to have already been first footed. We'll be able to land on planets with thin atmospheres for the first time. How many more planets will that be? There will be billions of new landable planets, roughly 20% more than the billions you can already land on. If I don't start walking about on planets as soon as I can buy a permit, will I still be able to experience first footfall? What about commanders with the PS and Xbox flight control systems? 
there are 400 billion star systems in the galaxy. Commanders have arrived, however briefly, in 201 million of these systems. It'll be a few tens of thousands of years before we start running out of planets waiting to be discovered. How quickly will we see our first footfall award? As soon as you step on the planet, you can see your first footfall accolade on the system map, alongside the names of the commanders who first discovered and landed on the planet. Is there a limit to the number of places I can get first footfall on in an hour? Yeah. The number of planets you can get your feet on is limited by the physical constraints of the universe. Can first footfall achievements be disputed? If commanders claim to have walked on a planet, but were only pretending, then they may be asked to give back their award. If I change my name, will the first footfall change with it? No. The first footfall is an historical record, and it will be recorded with your name as it was at the time of first footfall. Commander Fart Banana. What happens if two people disembark first at the same time? In the same way that Buzz Aldrin made way for Neil Armstrong to be the first man on the moon, there will always be one person who was first down the ladder. The first footfall accolade will not be shared. What happens if I die on foot? And that's the end of this week's Ask Me Anything. Come back next week for more grippingly inconclusive answers. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News. We make footprints so you can't claim first footfall.